Hello and welcome to another episode. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. And we are both knee-deep in tech. And I'm very happy to have Simon back. Uh, he has apparently managed to climb out of the, um, shall we say, amount of manure that your new kid manages <laughs> to produce. Yeah, kind of, kind of. Um, uh, it's been a quite a journey so far. Uh, and I'm knee-deep in something, as you and Tony stated in the last episode. Yes. Um, but she's really well-behaved, actually. So I'm, I'm happy to hear it. And I'd like to congratulate you on, oh, on your first kid. Thank you. Thank you. I don't like kids, but I'm sure your kid is great. You like me. I do. And you <laughs> like my wife. I do. And now we change the subject, please. We shall. Yeah. Okay. Um, should I or should you? I think you should start. I'm, I'm still, as I said, knee deep in something. Uh, and I, it's possible I forgot my brain at home. It, it's a bit like jet lag, but like kid lag. <laughs> kid lag. Yes. Th- that's, a, that's a first. It is. And that's the name of this episode. I think it is. <laughs> All right. I'll just go straight on to um, um, an interesting news tidbit. Oh. Just the, the other day, there was a, a blog post... Um, describing the new capabilities of CTP 1.3 of SQL Server on Linux. And that's one of the... Uh, <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say that it was pretty much one of the uh, the worst predictions that I ever made with <laughs> SQL Server on, on Linux. <laughs> I um, distinctly remember m- me saying, yeah, sure, it's going to be an interesting thing, but it's definitely not going to be feature complete and probably not useful for, oh, I don't know, couple of years yeah you said oh so. boy was <laughs> i wrong but it's a good thing to be wrong since just this ctp 1.3 it includes always on availability groups yeah and it also includes always on availability groups between sql server on linux and windows and what would be the benefit of that um for just uh, running your own um, high availability solution, I'd say not necessarily very great, but you can migrate seamlessly between mm-hmm. SQL Server on Linux and Windows using always on availability groups. It's one of the um, I, I shouldn't say it's a secret in any way, but it's not very it's not apparently not very common knowledge for some reason. You can set up uh, an always on availability group between just say for instance two 2014 machines right then you put up another running 2016 then you fade over between the 2014 and 2016 and then you remove the first 2014 machine then you add another 2016 and suddenly you just migrated pretty much on the run so it's rolling cluster updates in a way it is exactly a Roman cluster update yeah. with the slight difference that if you encounter any problems, you can always go back. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting way to online upgrade your system. And you pretty much never have to do a, an upgrade the classic way again if you don't want to. And especially if you're running virtual machines and have any knowledge whatsoever of scripting, you can do this pretty much automatically. So it's an interesting thing. And you can do it between Linux and Windows and and between Windows and Windows machines. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. And it's very, very interesting to see how far they've already come 
with the Linux implementation. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, I had not expected it to be this good this soon. And for me, as a, you, you know that I'm a Microsoft guy, mm-hmm. is SQL on Linux for organizations that already runs Linux or are there benefits of running SQL on Linux for organizations that today runs Windows? The only reason that I could think of right off the bat is licensing. Yeah, because that that's the first thing that comes to my mind as well. Yeah. Is it cheaper? It is cheaper, but it is not free since of course you can run this on any Linux. Yeah. No problems. But who in their right mind would run an enterprise system on just any Linux. I'd say yeah. go for Red Hat, go for SUSE, uh, and make sure that you have uh, support in, in place. And that's yeah. going to cost you. Yeah. When it comes to the exact price tag, I don't know. But I, th- it, it's probably cheaper. But is it way cheaper? I don't know. Uh, and looking at Azure, mm-hmm. would because I guess that if you... How is it with licensing and support for Linux machines in Azure? Is that included in the cost for the virtual machine or do you need to have the support agreements for organizations in place to run a supported Linux image in Azure? Or could that be a, a better price comparison? I, I don't know. To be honest, I need to check that out. Yeah. I think you can go with both bring your own license and buy the whole license with support mm-hmm. thingy from the, the VM marketplace. Yeah. But I'm not sure. But then, then of course, you pretty much hit the, the head on the nail. If you already run a Linux shop, yeah. would it be an interesting proposition to run SQL Server? And, oh, yes. Boy, yes. Since... Nobody wants. Nobody in their right mind wants to run Oracle. <laughs> and then, then there's um, Postgres. There are. Um, uh, you have um, MySQL and stuff like that. Everything works just fine, but nothing beats Oracle when it comes to the high availability on on Unix and, and Linux. And bringing in a competitor in the shape of, of SQL Server, that's going to be very, very interesting. A very interesting proposition to finally kick Oracle yeah, so, out. So this could be an attack on Oracle? Mm, it could. It could be construed as, as a shot across the bow on yeah. Oracle. And they, I'd say they have to sit up and take notice. Yeah. With that said, Oracle is way ahead of, of SQL Server in, in some areas. Uh, that's just the way it is. But on the other hand, they are way ahead when it comes to price tag and, quite frankly, moronic behavior. Mm. So, yeah, that's there is that. Yeah. Um, you were we we had a discussion before we started recording about Windows as a service. Yeah. Um, and while I've been away. Uh, taking care of my daughter, of course, and my wife. I also managed to squeeze in a Q&A with some Citrix and Absence experts. How did I end up there? I still don't know, but it was a brilliant hour uh, with some um, 
like I said, Absence and Citrix guys also uh, won MVP. And we discussed basically why or why not you should run LTSB as, as in long-term servicing branch of Windows or current branch for business, which is the like common servicing branch for Windows in organizations today. Just to clarify, these guys, they asked you. Yeah. So, so you were the, the answering part of the Q&A. Yeah. Uh, basically, it was me and, uh, let me get his name, uh, Stealth Puppy Aaron... I forgot his name, is an Australian MVP. Um, and apparently great at both Citrix and Microsoft's technology, which I see as a huge benefit today. Oh, yeah. As we discussed in the Q&A, um, looking forward, I bet you that most applications in one way or another will be virtualized because that will give you so much benefit. You can, as I said in the Q&A, this is to virtualize applications to be able to seamlessly move from one um, release of Windows to another without being afraid of what's what will happen when you do that. We'll also give you the benefit of being able to use any OS you like, not just Windows. This is exactly the same thing as always on availability groups, pretty much. Yeah. It, you, you don't care what it's running on. Yeah, it's it's a database engine, or in your case, it's an operating system. But that's it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Aaron Parker, right? Uh, and also, I was joined by James O'Regan and James Rankin, uh, which are both working with Absence and Citrix. Okay. Uh, and everything started off with a blog post that James Rankin, Absence bigot, wrote mm-hmm. uh, a week ago on the question of. LTSB or CBB and I replied to him and said that no one in the right mind would choose LTSB over CBB and he replied with yeah I've heard this but no one wants to comment on why so could we have a Q&A on it and I said of course and he invited a bunch of um, tech guys and we had a great discussion uh, I'll link to the recording and his blog post in our blog post later on. Cool. Uh, and it was a great discussion. Um, and they felt afterwards that they had a better understanding of the servicing model and when to choose what. Because I, I want to be clear on this. LTSB has, of course, use cases. And more use cases than Microsoft wants us to see. Because... If you ask Microsoft when to use LTSB, they will they will say like ATM machines, air control towers, medical equipment and such. But I have customers that of course will run this on other machines as well. So I, I see like a few percent of a normal environment will run LTSB. Okay. But CBB should always be the thing to aim for, for all your machines. And as I said in the Q&A, we actually have a, a customer of ours close by that runs CBB even on their production machines. So they are connected to welding robots and such. And oh. they run CBB. And they see a benefit in having one single OS version to work with, one single way of patching everything. And we have been helping them with a 
process to manage those machines as well in a secure manner. Okay. Um, so the entire thing about Windows as a service, it's something I'll cover moving on in my blog now, like giving um, tips, both technical ones and more organization and process-wise tips on how to manage Windows as a service in your environment. Because it's, it's easily the most common question I get from our customers when we talk Windows 10. How should we manage this uh, ever-changing Windows environment that we are running into now? And I know that many look at it and said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it as we always have done it. But that's not the right way to do it. And if you keep on doing things as you do it today, you will fail and you will get an environment that you have no kind of control over. So the Q&A is a good start. I'll blog about it, um, giving you all the tips I have. So it will be, I think it's like eight or nine quite long blog posts planned. So I'll see how, how I will divide them, but it will be lots of information, lots of text, lots of hands-on practical tips as well. Interesting. Looking forward to that one. And I'm I'm not very much into your side of the fence, but it's always interesting to read read what you write. Yeah, and it will be it will affect you as an end user because you run Windows. That is a good point. Yes. Yeah. And you are an IT pro, you will get affected by it, and you are probably one of the guys that will be in the C B branch because you know how to manage a Windows machine. Mm. So you will be one of the guinea pigs, so to say. Yeah, by choice, that is. By, yeah, yeah, of course. And that's something I stress in my blog post. You need to give the end users a choice on being either in CB, CBB, or one of your internal late rings, so to say. Right. But they should never have the option to be in LTSB by choice. That's something you as an admin should decide for them. By necessity. Yeah. Good point. Very interesting. Yeah, and, and talking about that, I've been like in my in my current role, mm-hmm. like a competence area developer. I work a lot with how to develop our colleagues' competence uh, for the future. So, what do they need to know? Mm. And in my opinion, and what we see when we do when we ask our customers, what do they want? I get more and more demands on IT consultants with soft skills. So mm-hmm. how do an organization work? What processes needs to be in place? How should we look at this in a future perspective? Is that something you get as well on the data center cloud side as well? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily that I get it out from, from the outside, but I pitched and I will do um, a new workshop, so to speak, for it's pretty much a, a data discussion. Yeah. So you put IT people and you put, um, what do you call it? End users. End users or, or yeah, pretty much the, that, that kind of, of crew in the same room. And then you explain to them, this is what data is. This is what data is from the viewpoint of the technicians, from the the IT guys. And this is what the the exact same data is from the viewpoint from from the end users. 
it's not necessarily the same thing. How do you convert between them? How do you stage data? How do you transform data? And I think that's 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 going to pretty much transform the whole notion of what's, what, what, what data is, what kind of value can you get out of your data. So the short answer to your question is yes. We're, we're seeing the same thing on the data center side of the pond. Yeah. So, and, and in my opinion, that's something you as an IT pro need to develop to be relevant for the future. The key word here is need. It's not yeah. something that you, you might want to look into. Do it. It's like PowerShell. It is like PowerShell. And it's like, just do it. You need these kind of skills. You need to be more interested in your organization's day-to-day work, basically. What are your end users doing? Why is your technical solutions important to them or not? Or not. And then in that case, you shouldn't do it. Yeah, or they do something else without going to you first oh the the classic shadow it thing. yeah yeah but it's uh, i've i've I always used the the expression that, that it is just a support structure yeah it is never the the means in itself exactly good point yeah. talking about shadows oh dear spotlight uh, yes we are back yes and we will be back again because our logitech spotlight presentation remotes clicker what's the name of it thingy thingy <laughs> will arrive tomorrow if everything goes according yes. to plan yes and we are super excited oh yeah it's like i said it's it's the most i think it's the by far the most expensive usb thingy i ever bought right i know it's not that for you because you talked about your usb stick 512 megabytes megabytes back in 2001 2002 uh, 512 megabytes and i paid a whopping three and a half thousand swedish crowns for it yeah uh and we paid i think it's 1400 swedish crowns pretty much for our the presentation spotlight. remote yeah yeah so it's expensive but we see a huge potential in it and it will be very interesting to see if it lives up to the promises they've made and the hype that I actually have seen. Mm -hmm. Um, So we will get back on that. Oh, yeah. Um, Probably in the next episode, hopefully. Maybe the next episode or or the episode after that. And the episode after that will probably be just before we go away to our presentation skills course or after that uh, i think it's probably be before yeah it's before yeah. yeah speaking of which i i um the reason there were no um episode last week uh, you were busy <laughs> yeah kid. And I, I, was, I was probably eating pizza or something probably uh i was not no. i was teaching it's uh, the course 20760 which is implementing a data warehouse with SQL Server in 2016. And how did that go? Oh, that was an interesting one, to be <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it was probably the first time it, it was run here in Sweden. Yeah. It's a fairly new course, and the irony is that the B version of the course came out during the course. 
on Thursday to be specific. So one day left of the course and you get a new version of it. Well, yeah, it was available, but of course we didn't use it. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of issues with the course. A lot of, of um, labs that simply didn't work. Uh, the timing was difficult. And, and since I've already taught the, um, the precursor, the 467, I wasn't expecting quite that much uh, of a challenge. But it's a good course. It's a very good primer on, on um, database warehousing and ETL and for, for a, a bit of SSIS, integration services. Um, so I, I recommend it for pretty much anyone that wants to, to learn anything about BI. And <clears throat> going from, from BI to a discussion that I had with a couple of customers the other day, and, and I'm very interested to hear uh, your input on this. Either you do a, a BI project where you have your data sources, you create a transformation and loading strategy and put everything into a data warehouse. The data warehouse is organized uh, usually as, as a fact table where you have all the, your measures and then you have different tables for the dimensions. They could be customers or time or products or whatever you're yeah. doing. This is a great starting point to create either data model in SQL Server analysis services where you aggregate stuff or you um, pre-compute stuff or whatever. And then you look at it using Power BI or ClickView or Tableau or whatever you wanted to use or, or Excel. The other way that I see people do is that you skip the whole BI thing and go straight to Power BI as Power BI can do the, the uh, transformation, you can do the loading in the tool, then you have the visualization and the analysis part of it. The issue with that is, should you do that in that tool? Since if you do, you cannot easily replace Power BI, which may or may not be a bad thing. So we, we had an interesting discussion in this case, my customer realized that, okay, either we implement a whole BI stack, that's probably gonna be mm, a year or two. We don't have time for that. So we want to quickly get up to speed with the benefits of data analysis. So we're gonna use Power BI as an iterative BI solution. That is, just hook it onto whatever data we have, see what we can do, spin up more data, add it into Power BI, see what we can do, and just take it from there. If we want to grow this, we might look into creating a, a proper BI solution. Two sides of the same coin. What are, your, what are your thoughts? I would say that it, as few solutions as possible mm -hmm. has always been my way of looking at it. Can we do something equally good with lesser solutions that's something good right um, and I would say that most organizations need the insight of their data now mm -hmm. they can't wait right and I think you're on spot on that like do it now using Power BI you can do everything you can get the value of your already existing data 
And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that the project later on, with where you implement all the other fancy stuff you talked about, mm-hmm. will cost you that much more. I'd argue that it probably cost you less yes. since you've already done the ETL solution once. Yeah. You can't take it just lift and shift, yeah. but you have the uh, methodology down. Yeah. So that that's a very good point. You yeah. might actually end up saving money. Yeah, and you would probably get the value of your data quicker. So the ROI will be better if you start using your already existing data in a as easy way as Power BI is. So you will get the benefit of that instead of waiting one year and then try to like, get your return of investment afterwards. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And it's very much in, in line with the um, Azure and DevOps philosophy. Yeah. Short iterations, quick. If you're going to screw up, screw up quickly and screw up royally. And Fail move fast. On. Fail fast, yeah. right. Uh, screw up quickly sounds more fun <laughs> when it's pretty much the same thing so so yeah that's that's uh, that was the uh, the outcome of the discussion actually yeah my recommendation was just just do it yeah keep going and document everything you do yeah and think uh, think about how you want to scale this up but don't be afraid to do stuff in power bi as it is yeah I think that's a that's a good way to look at it, and that that's something we have talked about before, I believe. We as IT pros and our organizations that we work with on our day to day basis, mm-hmm. we need to be more open to trying new things. I think that's something for the future. Like, I strongly believe. That if organizations, regardless of their size, try stuff, risk a little in projects, looking at new software, new solutions, they will in the long term gain on that. Right. Because today we are really afraid of trying new stuff because it will cost us money and resources. And that means that we can't innovate in the pace that I believe we need to be innovating now to be relevant. It's a good point. My my feeling is that innovation is increasing every day. The speed of innovation is increasing every day. Yeah. And many companies risk falling behind yeah. just by doing whatever they've always been doing. And I'd say, I'd guess it's... Uh, not very comfortable to wake up one morning and realize that the methodology that served you very well for the last couple of years just won't cut it anymore. Yeah. And just to be clear, people are not alone in this. Everyone yeah. is facing the same kind of challenges. Uh, which is why, oh yeah, I can just mention it. We're, we're looking at uh, putting together a, um, I don't know what you call it, a, a roundtable discussion for our clients that do Azure. Yeah. Just put them in the same room, have an open discussion. What do you use this for? How do you use this? What kind of issues have you run into? And it's not 
a way for, for me or Simon to send you more stuff. But it's a way of, of exchanging experiences yeah. and using your investment in a, in, a, in a good way. Yeah, I think that's that's a role I believe that we as I, an IT consultant firm needs to adopt more. Be more of a, like we always talk about, trusted advisor and not only doing implementations and then moving on. No, I think um, shoot and scoot is is going out. Yeah, and it's more about getting people together and helping each and, and every. Yeah. All right, um, we're coming up on thirty minutes. Yep. I think it's time to uh, wrap this up. Yep. And as always, it's been great having you. It's always an interesting discussion. Yeah, and great to be back. And it is good to have you back. Thank you. We were a bit worried when you weren't skulking the corridors. (laughs) So welcome back. And, uh, well, I'll see you guys next week. Yes, we will. Have a good one.